everyone, and welcome to APQC's first knowledge management podcast of 2018. My name is Lauren Trees, and I lead the KM research effort here at APQC. And with me today, I have my colleague, Darcy Lemons, who is a senior advisor in our advisory services group. Hi, Darcy. Hi, Lauren. Hi, everyone. Delighted to join you today. So our focus today is going to be one of the classic knowledge management approaches, communities of practice. And last year, we finished up, I think, our fifth big study on communities. Darcy has been involved in almost all of our research on communities over the years, as well as many, many community implementations, I know. Um, so I thought it'd be fun to get together and talk about some of the newest developments, maybe a few of the surprises um, you know, in the research around enterprise communities and where we think things are headed. Sound good, Darcy? That sounds great, Lauren. And you're right, you know, I, I um, have been involved in a lot of our research on communities of practice over the years. Um, of course, I, well, I was going to say I started when I was 12. This is a podcast. You can't <laughs> see me. So. <laughs> there but, you go. Uh, and then I've worked with um, numerous organizations to help them uh, establish their you know, strategies for communities of practice and, and get those um, communities initial communities launched and, and do health assessments on, on established communities. So, but the one thing is for what, various reasons, I wasn't able to really be a part of the research you did on communities, the big piece that you did um, last year. So, um, you know, one of the things I was really wondering, and, and I think um, a lot of our, our uh, members and, and future members would be interested in is, what did you see as some of the, the surprising changes um, coming out of that research on community. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because some people, when I told them we were going to do another study on communities of practice, they looked at me like I was crazy. Like, don't we know everything there is to know about communities? Um, but I think the last study we'd done before this one was in 2010, 2011, and, and some things really have changed. Um, one thing that I mean, really stood the, out to me. Yeah, sorry, I was what? Say, certainly the oh, I was, certainly the information technology landscape has has changed immensely in that six or seven years. Absolutely, and, and I think that's driving a lot of the changes. One thing that stood out to me was the different types and models of communities that today's organizational community programs support. When we were studying communities the last time, I think most companies had one type of official community. There was a little variation, but for the most part, they were formal communities, business-oriented, and designed to persist for a relatively long time. And, and different types of communities might have existed in the organization, but they didn't necessarily get any kind of recognition or central support through that community of, of practice programs. Um, but the, the study we did last year, we really saw some of the community programs, including ones that we've sort of checked in on and studied over the course of, of 15 or 20 years, be a, a lot more agile with their community programs and, and really broaden the reach to include different different types of collaboration under that COP, you know, community of practice umbrella. Um, you know, in terms of your traditional sort of long-term communities focused on a topic or a process, you know, mechanical engineering, whatever, 
Um, you know, and then also shorter term communities that are focused on, say, the launch of a particular product or that are brought together to tackle a strategic challenge and they're supposed to exist for six months or a year or, or two years and then they're really designed to go away. Um, so some of the longer term communities end up going away because they lose focus or, you know, it becomes not a priority for the business. But these are really, you know, fit for purpose to exist for a particular period of time. And then I think one thing I thought really surprised me was some of these very serious technical organizations, you know, investing at least some resources in social communities, whether they're around personal interests or networking or, you know, a lot of them around professional development opportunities. So communities around learning to be a better public speaker, you know, a different soft skills that people want to develop. Um, you know, and, and really communicating that they found having those social communities in their portfolio helped bring people into the program, get them comfortable with the technology, which is often a, a challenge. And then they were much more likely to segue over to some of, of the business-focused communities. Um, and, and Darcy, you and I have seen that in past studies, but I think it's a lot more common now, um, you know, in terms of that holistic approach to, to communities. I've, I've really enjoyed, um, and I have to say that was one of the highlights uh, when I uh, read through the report on next generation communities, was this um, idea or, or kind of um, better acceptance, I guess, of the social communities, um, because they've certainly been around forever, <laughs> uh, longer even than, than ABQC has studied communities of practice, but you're right. Back in the day, when we first started studying communities, uh, it seemed you know that the, the the understanding that we got was that if your community wasn't one of those more traditional um, communities focused around that uh, um, uh, specific business process or a specific uh, domain or discipline of knowledge within the organization, um, if it was more of that kind of social leaning community, um, it kind of got the short end of the stick, you know? It was like, okay, well, yeah, y'all go do your own thing and don't bother us. Um, you know, no, we, 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 we as the KM team, we are going to focus on these other communities over here and y'all are on your own. Um, and there's kind of like a Chinese wall in there, you know? Um, and so to see now that there's a greater acceptance of these social communities, a little bit more support being offered to them, that there's an understanding both of um, how they can, that they that there is some benefit, um, even though it's a it's a softer benefit. It's not a hard, you know, you're not going to put dollars around it most likely, but there is benefit not only to the organization, but to the people who are a part of those communities. And recognition of that, I, I thought that was, a, um, a, I, I really, like I said, that was a highlight for me when I was reading through the report. Well, and also a high, um, you know, benefit to the KM program itself um, by bringing more users into the platform, by bringing more potential, um, you know, participants in those business-focused communities and, cr and creating that connection. I thought it was great. It um, goes to help raise awareness. Yep. So, so beyond that, I mean, I think you you were touching on it at the beginning of the call. Um, you know, we obviously saw a lot of changes brought on by technology in terms of how people interact with communities and, and also consume community information. 
Um, I, I think we used to think about a model where people would go to a community site of some sort to interact, or maybe they did things through some kind of email workflow in, in some cases. Um, you know, but I think a lot of interaction and conversation has moved out of those individual communities into some kind of central activity feed. So, you know, people come in in the morning, they log into the internet and they see updates from all of their communities as well as, you know, colleagues that they follow, maybe team, you know, teams or, or groups that they're, they're part of, um, you know, and, and they see that all in one one place, like a you know Facebook type of feed, um, and, and I think that can be really great in terms of getting eyeballs on community information and and not having that barrier of people having to go to a place to think about their community, um, you know. But but I also think it, it there is some more passive interaction that goes on there. You know, you, it's we think about. I look at a lot of social media on my phone, but I'm not necessarily interacting. You're just sort of flipping through it in your off time. So, mm -hmm. so there's a there's a, a plus and a, a minus to that, right? Right. Um, you know, and then I I think this question of where social networking and enterprise social networking tools and also chat tools like Slack and things like that kind of fit into a traditional, more formal community model ha has been um, out there as, as an open question for a long time. Um, you know, I definitely think we're seeing even some of the longstanding traditional community programs, if you will, you know, moving to incorporate some of those more social features into their communities. Um, you know, and again, I think there's there's pluses and minuses. Um, I, I think it's easier and it brings more people into the conversation. But the kind of conversations that happen on Yammer or Slack, they have a little bit of a different flavor to them often than the type of conversations that happened on your traditional threaded discussion forum, um, you know, in a lot of these communities. So th there, there's a question about, you know, what, what channel is right for what type of conversation and um, you know, do you lose something by moving to more of a quick back and forth exchange type of tool? You're probably more inclusive, but maybe a little bit less deliberative. Um, so, so I just think that's something that community leaders and managers need to be really aware of. Right. You, like you said, you might be more inclusive, um, definitely, but uh, you lose, as you said, some of that deliberation, potentially meaning that some of that um, uh, tacit, that deeper knowledge and tacit experiential type knowledge doesn't necessarily get shared as well or as frequently in some of these more, um, uh, some of these newer, using some of these newer applications like Slack or Yammer um, compared to, okay, well, you know, I can take my time uh, in, a, in, a, in a more traditional kind of threaded discussion area, I can be more deliberate in what I put in there, I, may, I might be more willing to share a little bit more um, because I have, it's not that, that quick back and forth. Um, you know, I can, I can, I'm not just, not just spouting off, you know, 140 characters and running on to the next thing. So I, I agree with you on that, but I am glad to see and, and, and learn that, um, organizations are really finding kind of the best of both worlds, you know, whatever that might look like for them in terms of being able to leverage uh, new and old um, and, and 
not just uh, you know with regard to all the, the the new technologies that sometimes get a lot of flash and a lot of attention, not just throwing the baby out with the bathwater, as they used to say. Yeah, and I think some of the deep tacit knowledge sharing is happening in things like webinars and unconferences and opportunities to bring people together, whether that's face-to-face or virtually. Um, but I, I do sort of worry about getting those detailed expert answers to questions, um, you know, and whether there's a, there's a really good channel for that sometimes. That would be something that you know, whether you're uh, uh, you know, engaged in a new community or one that's been around for a while, something that um, as a community manager, as a um, part of the KM team, perhaps, something to definitely keep on our radar and make sure that there is a place and a space and a mechanism for, for enabling that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, Lauren, let's... Um, uh, I had another question for you, kind of moving us forward here. Um, so, you know, we've acknowledged and just talked about how things have changed um, quite a bit. But what what, did you, what would you say that you observed hasn't changed? What kind of um, traditional wisdom about communities or practice has remained constant um, over the past few years? So this probably won't come as any kind of huge surprise, but communities have always succeeded when they're focused on specific business problems. And I think that that remains true. And if anything is, is more true than ever before, people have more pulls on their time and organizations have more competing priorities. And if you can't focus your community on something very specific and show that it's providing value in, in solving that business problem, I think you're going to have a, a lot of trouble both getting funding and support and, and also just getting participation from, from people. Um, you know, you, you want to have clear business objectives and, and to be doing the work of the business that, so, you know, you don't want to be a hangout for people who are interested in a particular topic to, you know, just swap ideas. Um, you know, and we, and we definitely saw that in the organizations that we studied. Um, you know, a, a few were using their communities, for example, to vet vendor solutions for particular parts of their business, um, you know, and evaluate vendors and, and actually select vendors for, you know, particular new technologies and, th and things like that. Um, so, so very specific business needs, you know, that are, are um, tasked to these communities. So when people say, well, you know, why are, why are people spending time in this location? There is, um, you know, a very specific set of wins and, and tasks that have been completed. Um, you know, and, and even when you kind of go and look at the measures for the communities, some of them are looking at quantifying ROI and things like that. But some of them just have a task list of here are the, the wins and the things that this community has done for the business in the last year. And that can be um, that can be very compelling. Um, so I, I don't think it's new. I think it's consistent, but it's nice to see it continue and that we've been talking about some of the new technology. Sometimes people implement those things for, for technology's sake, but I think at least the organizations that we're studying, um, you know, are pretty focused on at least those, those business communities that they're really investing in, um, you know, having real clear objectives. 
Um, you know, I also noticed <laughs> how similar the community charter and launch process is to the ones that, you know, you were probably looking at 15 years ago, Darcy, and, you know, when we first started looking at this, or, or, you know, or even longer. Uh, and I was wondering what your thoughts are, you know, across your, your experience in this area, um, you know, why, why this process works so well and why it's remained so consistent in terms of, of setting up communities for success. Certainly, um, good a good question, Lauren. And first of all, I was just I was glad to um, see in the report that communities are still um, uh, using charters and going through some type of process to a uh, design and, and launch process um, uh, to prepare um, to kind of go live, if you will, with their members and to the to the organization. Um, that that just warms my heart because <laughs> as you said <laughs> it's something that it's something that they've um you know we observed um uh with the communities uh, in the organizations that were involved in our very first best practices study on on communities of practice low those many years ago um in the um, early 2000s and um so to see that that's continuing i think one of the reasons um that that it has um, sustained over the years is uh, the fact that, first of all, when you're going through the community charter, you're kind of defining who you are, who you're going to be, or what you're going to be as a community. You know, why are we all coming together? What What are the challenges and the, what's the problem we're, we're trying to solve? That, that business problem, as you stated a moment ago, Lauren. And then what what are we going to try to do as a group uh, to address those problems? Um, you know, not only the kinds of activities that we might have in the community, um, but, you know, is this something, you know, that they can talk about and, and figure out, you know, is this something that we can address through um, identifying best practices? Is it something that we need to address through um, lessons learned? Is it something that we've identified that there's, um, gaps in our knowledge um, around a process area or or a domain of knowledge, um, perhaps because of uh, retirements or layoffs or we did a spin-off and you know now we're we, where we were one company now we're two and some of that knowledge went with the new company and you know now we've got some gaps here at the at the old company. So as a community, what can we do to recoup that knowledge and 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 fill those Fill those gaps. So the the charter um, and the the well the discussion is what's really important about you know who we're going to be, how we're going to try and go about doing this, how are we going to know if we're successful, who all do we need to have involved. It really helps shape that community. And then the the charter document itself, whatever that might look like, a word document, a few PowerPoint slides, whatever. That's the output of it, and it serves as kind of that 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 north star if you will, in a lot of ways for the community because it can help the community stay focused. If if people are losing interest in the community um, and, and aren't as engaged as they as they were, you know, maybe we need to go back and revisit that charter and say, you know, are we focused on the still focused on the on the right things? And um, maybe we've discovered that uh, our our focus has shifted because the business need has shifted or our focus has shifted just because we kind of lost sight of our vision for the community for a while. So 
the community charter itself, I, I, I think that's one of it's that's one of the, the reasons why that activity um, as part of the, the the design and launch process has has really stuck around because it helps us it really does help define who we're going to be. And we need that. We need that as an um, because we're all busy individuals. We've got our day to day, you know, our day jobs and our, our tasks that we have to perform day in and day out. Um, and uh, it's really easy to get to get so involved in that that we lose sight of these other things. And the community that that charter document or um, uh, uh, slides or what have you provides that that direction for us. I think that's so important that it's not just about having the charter itself. It's that process of going through and defining what you want to accomplish as a community, and that um, and that that's that's by nature a collaborative process itself. Um, you know, and, and helps build buy-in at least among the the core team and the design team for the community. You know, which then hopefully represents the the needs and desires of of the community as a whole, and and helps you bring in a broader group of people to feel like this is something they want to go do. Mhm, mm mhm. Mm it's it's um, the social nature, right? It's 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 we all are social. Um, some of us more so than others, but it it's really. <laughs> It's that important, it's that series of, of important initial conversations that really helps get the ball rolling. And I think without it, when we don't have it, that's that, you know, we might have a, a group of impassioned people who get together initially and they're like very gung ho about whatever it is, you know, yes, okay, the 10 of us and we're going to, you know, go forth and conquer. Um, but if we haven't clearly defined what it is we're going to go forth and conquer, um, our, our, our passion gets overtaken by the day job. Our passion can get overtaken um, or or lost a little because, well, um, but that's not, you know, oh, this is what the group is talking about. Well, but I thought we were going to come together to talk about A, and, and you, know, you guys are talking about C. And, you know, so it's that those initial conversations, you know, help build that, that uh, social glue that can help keep the community together. Yeah, and, you know, um, nothing breaks a community apart like um, sort of having different expectations for what's going to come out of it. And you think you're devoting your time to the community because it's going to perform this particular service that you think is important. And then you realize that everybody else is on a different page. I think that that can um, lead to a lot of problems and, and disengagement over time. I absolutely agree with you, and I think that's um, you know that part of the the responsibility there lies with the community leader or community manager, facilitator, whatever the name is for the person um, you know at the organization who is essentially responsible for the direction of the community. Well, and I'm, it's interesting that you brought that up because that was the other thing that I wanted to um, mention in talking about what has stayed the same in terms of communities is I, I think the leader role has changed a little bit, but I've heard, especially in the sort of more social networking universe, um, you know, this idea that, oh, communities don't need to have leaders, they don't need to have structure, it's all going to be organic, and there's something, you know, counterintuitive to the concept of collaboration and working out loud to have somebody leading that process. 
um, you know, which I think is an almost deliberate misunderstanding of, of what a community leader does, um, you know, but I think this research shows very definitively that none of that is true. I mean, which I think, Darcy, you and I probably knew, but it's nice to have it um, reinforced um, that communities, they need leaders, they need management, they need people to guide the ship, they need people to plan activities, um, you know, and, and it's great to put social networking groups out there. And some of them, you know, people will keep up with for a certain period of time. But we're looking at organizations that have some communities that are 20 and 30 years old, and people come in and out of them, and technology changes and needs change. And um, I, I think if you don't have people who are on top of that, um, you're you're not going to to get the value out of it that that you could, and and to actually focus on business objectives and doing real work rather than just hey, this is a channel where I can throw questions out and maybe somebody will answer them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely, I was um, again thrilled when I saw in the report, you know, about the the, the data around community leadership. Um, and as you said, you know, someone, someone to, someone or multiple someone to steer that ship. And, and it's something that similar, um, or, 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 uh, not similar to, but, uh, going back in our research, um, I can't remember, um, the first organization, I, I wish I could, I wish I could remember their name, but the, whichever was the first organization that, um, introduced me to this concept of co-leadership of a community of practice. And um, bless them, whoever they are or were, um, but they had um, at least two leaders in the community. And this was either in the second or, or the, the first or second um, research study that we did on, on best practices in communities. And they were talking about this and how they were doing this because all of their communities are global communities. They have members from around the world. And so they would um, they would have a member uh, or a community leader, rather, who uh, one of the co-leads would be, I remember them saying they'd have an Eastern Hemisphere co-lead and a Western Hemisphere co-lead. And that way, there was essentially all the time zones got covered. Um, and so if, you know, something popped into uh, the community's discussion area, um, you know, didn't it might be 2 a.m. in the Western Hemisphere, but it was, you know, uh, early, you know, early mid morning, early to mid morning, or something like that in the Eastern Hemisphere, there would be somebody um, uh, who that they could, if they didn't see a, a response come through right away, they knew that that you know there was that co-leader could be there to help nudge somebody to respond to that question in the discussion area, um, and they could also um, hold uh, uh, do do things like um, uh, virtual kind of brown bag discussions. Uh, technical discussions, things like that. So the uh, Western Hemisphere co-lead would um, hold one for for everybody in the Western area uh, of the world, and then the um, the Eastern Hemisphere co-lead would do the same thing for their part of the world. And that way, you know, no matter where you where you resided in the world, the community was that was you know part of their outreach to help meet their members' needs. And and I. You know, I'm glad to see that that's persisting today and becoming even more sophisticated. Yeah, and I think that one of the things, at least in my mind, that differentiates a true community of practice from just a you know social network inside an organization, for example, is having 
opportunities to, to bring people together, whether that's virtually or, or face-to-face meeting, um, you know, to, to actually come together as a group beyond just this sort of virtual discussion that is ongoing, mm-hmm. um, you know, to have those sort of destinations. And I think having so, some local leaders who can do that, whether it's a hemisphere leader or, you know, a country leader or however that breaks down and makes sense for you, who can at least bring local people together, um, you know, and, and then help facilitate some of these virtual meetings and conversations is, is really important to that. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Lauren, we, as we've been talking about this, it, it occurs to me, you know, we've kind of been talking um, about traditional communities versus these, uh, the, the, the young generation, <laughs> the new generation of communities, the young whippersnappers, if you will. Um, and so I, I, I uh, uh, we all, um, I think you and I agree that you know, history and, and experience um, in KM are, are good things um, you can, that, that they can teach us a lot, but they can sometimes, it comes, sometimes becomes baggage that can weigh you down. Um, and uh, especially in today's world where it seems like there's some new evolution or revolution um, in our businesses on occurring on way more frequent basis than ever before. So, from your perspective, what did you observe um, in this in the next generation communities um, research? What uh, what developments do you think established KM programs need to be aware of and and to to be taking advantage of? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. And when we went out and got the group, the cohort of best practice organizations for this project, we very deliberately said, let's go get some organizations that have been doing communities since the the 90s or earlier, and let's get some that have put their communities in place, you know, five years ago, say, Um, you know, so, so that we could look at some of the differences and also make sure that we had a holistic picture in terms of community development. And... Uh, you know, I think that there are some really long-standing successful community programs out there that are having to unlearn certain things and sort of, you know, decouple some of what they're doing from this long-standing, very successful, you know, on-premises technology platforms that they've had, um, you know, or looking at doing that in order to embrace some of the better collaboration capabilities of the cloud, um, you know, but but I definitely think there's a, a change management conundrum there of a real desire to go out with newer technology, but to build all of the customizations and all of the things that you have, that you have built over the course of 15 or 20 years into your platform and to have it work exactly the same way that, um, you know, that people are used to and that people really like in a lot of ways. They just want it to be in a, you know, a newer, slicker platform. Or do you really take a look at what you're offering and say, maybe there are easier, different, simpler ways to do this, ways that are going to be easier to update in the future. I mean, that's one of the things about the cloud. You do a lot less customization and things, you know, update for you more frequently. And I think that for some of these really established KM programs, that is a paradigm shift, that you are not going to sit and 
and twiddle with it until you get exactly what you want. And six months from now, the tools may change again. So, so that's that's a challenge, um, you know, and, and that's a challenge for everybody. Um, but for organizations that don't have that baggage of this is the way we have shared knowledge for 20 years and we have all these capabilities and we need to make sure we bring those capabilities forward, um, you know, it's, it's just more of a change management challenge. Um, you know, I also think there's some new developments in terms of, of how you promote uh, communities, how you build awareness. And a big part of that is what organizations can do with data now and how much when a user logs in or, you know, a, a user is in the system, you know who they are, what they like, what type of message might resonate best with them. And you're able to, to send them the right email, to send them the right video, to show them the right message to help drive engagement based on who they are and the kind of work that they do. Um, you know, so really the same pattern that we've seen in terms of targeted marketing in the, you know, the B2C world being brought into the, the internal knowledge organization. Um, you know, and then, and then there's this more social platform, uh, you know, social nature of some of these platforms, which I think really lends itself to a, a more social peer-based reward structure, um, you know, rather than a top-down, let's have an annual award ceremony where we announce the community of the year and the community MVP of the year. And not that those things can't be valuable, but I think people want that uh, you know, virtual, more consistent recognition, you know, much smaller things, um, you know, whether that's a gamification type of point system that they can earn for sharing knowledge or just, you know, badges that they get for so many people liking their post or saying it was helpful. Um, you know, they really want that kind of so social feedback. So I think incorporating that into into your platform and your system and, and your approach where you can. Um, you know, and then circling back to the topic of data, I think organizations are getting more sophisticated about how they measure community activities. Uh, you know, we used to feel like activity measures were pretty basic. Um, you know, this many people went to there, some, this many people attended a, you know, meeting or a webinar, um, you know, and didn't really give you any sense of what was, was going on. And I think people are, are, able to capture a lot more data around the, the quality of interaction, um, you know, how actually useful a response was, how many people looked at it, how many people, you know, reacted to it, um, you know, and, and just getting those little bits and bytes of data, I think, gives you a, a better picture of what's really going on. And then also analyzing that data to try to figure out um, you know, what are the real drivers that make one community more successful than another, you know, and being able to do some correlations to kind of say, well, here's our top performing communities, here's our, you know, regular communities, what, what is it that these communities are doing? And then you can use that to coach communities, you can use it to, to coach and engage individual types of members, um, you know, they're, they're using that data in all sorts of, of different creative ways. So there's a, there's a lot of good things going on that I think even um, even successful longstanding community programs need to pay attention to. Excellent, and I you know I I, I just I'm amazed um, at the sophistication um, that is a, uh, available now in um, our ability not only to, from a 
technology perspective in terms of enabling us to collaborate and connect with each other and, and all that. But as you just said, then the, the other aspect of this that's allowing us to collect and analyze this data and identify, you know, trends and patterns and, and behaviors um, that uh, we can then say you know, leverage, um, if you will, for improvement opportunities. Um, it's just, it's just amazing when compared to what was available to us, you know, 10, 15 um, years ago. And we had the vision then. Goodness knows, I can remember being involved in numerous conversations about these things. And we all had this kind of wistful tone to our voice. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if kind of um, uh, tone in our voices and, and to see some of those wishes coming true now is, uh, is really, really nice. Um, but, you know, on the flip of that, um, I think is there's also a few things that, uh, as, as we mentioned earlier, there's a few things that have withstood the test of time and that are um, that a, a newer uh, community program at an organization um, should be aware of and should take advantage of. Um, some things that I can think of, for example, um, as we mentioned earlier, the, um, the need for the charter and um, that whole uh, design and launch process and the discussions that go on behind that um, to really shape who and what we are or, or who, who and what we want to be as a community of practice. Um, the, um, and, and part of that discussion is the uh, establishing those objectives um, for our community, which help us manage um, not only, you know, kind of further define what, what we want to be as, when we grow up as a community, but also help manage those expectations for the people who are uh, members and, and, and get engaged and involved um, in the communities of practice. Um, and then a, a third thing that I think, uh, as you just touched on, is the, the measures. Um, never forgetting that uh, these are um, uh, important, and they they can they can serve as um, uh, bellwethers, if you will, you know, to say you know which which communities are performing well, which ones are doing okay, which ones really need help, and maybe an injection of um, you know vitamin C or or B12 shot, something like that, <laughs> uh, to to get them going again. Um, I think these are all you know they they I know that. Uh, uh, some organizations that are just now coming around to communities might look at these and say, well, you know, do we really need to go through all that discussion and, and, and put all this structure into place? And, um, you know, that just seems like a lot of bother. And uh, I want to say yes, absolutely, because these are things that um, we at APQC have correlated with um, successful Communities and successful community of practice programs um, overall, um, and then and, and going hand in hand with in all of that is the role and really understanding you know okay we've got our charter um, we know, you know we've got our objectives we we kind of know now what we want to be when we grow up and what we're going to try to accomplish together, um, but who's going to do that right that that leadership role that we were talking about our co leadership role. But also, you know, are, do we, are there other roles? And I think those things can be glossed over in some of these initial discussions we have in our communities. But it's important to have that conversation. And, and even if it's just on a 
on a volunteer basis initially to get us started. Okay, I'll do that for the first four months. And somebody's, oh, I'll do it for the first six or, or whatever. The, the leadership role needs to be longer. That needs to be a formal established thing, in my opinion. But some of the more supportive roles, um, somebody maybe who helps support the day-to-day operations and um, maybe who uh, uh, acts as kind of a content librarian um, for a community that is producing a lot of a lot of uh, uh, content assets and, and things like that that um, we, we, you know, we may not know all the roles we need initially uh, outside of the community leadership role. We may not know all the roles we need initially when we launch a community, um, but we need to to be aware of the need for these when they come up and, and not just gloss over them, um, but uh, take the opportunity to say, okay, we really do need somebody to take responsibility for this and who's going to do that? And what is that going to look like? What will their responsibilities entail? Um, again, sometimes I can hear, I can hear some, based on some of the conversations I've been in recently, you know, oh, that's, that's a lot of structure, Darcy. <laughs> yes, it is, but it's, it pays off. It pays off in the long term. Um, and, uh, so I, I would hate to see those kinds of things go by the wayside. Yeah, and I think as people interact with communities, virtual communities in their personal lives, um, you know, some of those communities do have leaders and, and, you know, the people who participate in them may not be aware of all the work that goes in behind the scenes to make those communities operate. Some of them are really informal and they don't require that kind of level of management. But if you really want to get business value out of your community, you're going to have to make some upfront investment. And there are, you know, ongoing operational needs for that community. It's it's not sexy work a lot of the time, but it is, it is necessary. Um, you know, and I think just because you're bringing in a different type of technology, you know, doesn't mean that that those things go away. And I think that's really important to remember, both for established and, and new community programs, that this, <laughs> these don't run themselves, if only. <laughs> if only. <laughs> Maybe so that's I the think, next big evolution. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll all get, you know, chatbots that uh, manage our communities for us. Um, well, I think that we are going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for chatting with me about the Starcy. It is always fun. Um, for anybody who is interested in learning more about communities, we have lots of resources on the APQC knowledge base, including our Next Generation Communities of Practice Best Practices report. Um, so I hope you will go seek that out and please, uh, you know, send us any feedback. Uh, you know, otherwise, we will hopefully talk to you next month on our next podcast.